everybody to Barry. It's a very special episode of Breaking Kayfabe. Oh. And not because of the special announcement that you're about to make. Uh, in fact, it's a special episode. Because 250 episodes, Barry. We've reached that particular mark. It's a stunning development. Hence the special intro music, which Lou has provided for us. Wow, Barry, 250 episodes. Can you believe it? I really can't. We go back to the early days of of the podcast and especially like the first maybe 30 episodes. I think we were in our 30s back then. We were young. We were swell. You know, you had the curly fro. I had the wavy hair with a slight ponytail. You know, ah, it was was a different time, Barry. It was a different time. It was uh, crazy. We in the early episodes, we couldn't count past five. If you remember, we I, uh, I recall that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the truth was, we we were growing this. We didn't really have a, a big agenda. We didn't. We were like, all right, we do want to do a match every week. Right. You want to do a top five and certainly things evolve. But, you know, to think that it's almost five years later and we should say, Jeff, we've never missed an episode in those never. Five years. Never. Never once. Never. Through no. through death, divorce, weddings, moves sicknesses, cancer, et cetera. And I'm sure there's a ton of shit I'm forgetting. We never missed an episode. That is absolutely huge. But Jeff, give yourself a round of applause. And that's a round of applause for you, Mr. Rose. And wait a minute, Barry, join me. Round of applause for Lou. Thank you. Thank you, Lou. We do appreciate it. So before we get into the gist, excellent word, uh, use of the word gist there, Barry, uh, special announcement for Mr. Rose. Take it away, Bear. Absolutely. So when this episode drops uh, today, which will be Tuesday, July the 19th, uh, my little angel, my baby, the the baby I saw being Fruit born. of your loins, if you will. It is her birthday. She is turning. She is of legal age. She is 18 years old. She is actually spending her birthday at the University of Pittsburgh with her brother and her three closest friends. And I'm so you know, on the one hand, I'm I'm so proud of her and I'm just, you know, I, I gush with pride every time I even think about her. Uh, incredibly intelligent, sensitive, beautiful. She's just anything anyone could ever want in a daughter. And at the, on the other hand, it's it's a little bittersweet because my baby's now 18. And, you know, she she said something to me yesterday and I don't think she said it in any other way than we were just having a conversation, but it really touched me and it stayed with me last night. And we were talking because she's off to college in five weeks. And that that's going to be a really, you know, when Zach went off to college uh, and I probably didn't announce it here, but I, I cried when he went off to college. I cried on the car ride home. I cried that night on the couch. I cried the next day and I cried the next five or six days. Like You're I cried. an emotional guy. I, I can be when, especially when it comes to my kids, I can be super emotional. And I just remember, and, and Zoe and I were talking and, you know, and I was like, Zoe, I, you know, we went out for dinner, went to actually Maggiano's for her birthday, which we can talk about. It was a pretty, Love very good experience. Love the bread. Just so we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But as we were driving and I was picking her up from her house to bring her over here to go to the pool and we were going to go out to dinner and everything. And I, I said, you know, it, it's going to be really, really hard for me when you go off to college. And I told her about my experience with Zach, how I cried for days. And she said, well, it's probably even going to be harder for you with me because you and I are besties. Oh man. Hold on. 
Exactly. So, so on the one hand, yourselves. yeah, so it's like ripping out the heart, you know, look, and it's a great way to say it. But at the same time, anybody that has a child, you know, it. it's it, there's nothing like the love you feel for a child uh, and, the, and really what how a child feels about you. There's it's just at a different level. And when she said that, you know, and again, I, I've been getting emotional thinking of her going off to college where we won't go out a couple of times a week to go out and eat or to hang out or do something. And I won't be seeing her as frequently. And uh, I get choked up about it. Right. So it is tough. But all that long winded story I just told Zoe, I know that you're probably not listening she has listened to a couple episodes and then I get quizzed on what I meant by uh, certain things, <laughs> <laughs> which I think I've told you about privately, which was like, oh, my God. But with that, uh, happiest of birthdays to my youngest. And uh, she is my bestie. Now, let us uh, remind all the uh, people in the brothership. This does not mean now that uh, Zoe's uh, 18 <laughs> yeah. that you need to Facebook friend request her. <laughs> I will uh, say that on behalf of Mr. Rose, because, uh, yeah, you, the creepy guy, you don't need to, uh, you know, send her a friend request. OK, it, it, yeah. Yeah. And we should say, too, her sense of humor is uh, traditionally not what the brothership sense of humor is. So there really is no reason. She's also very uh, secure. Uh, she doesn't generally accept a lot of friend requests. But yes. Please, my 18-year-old daughter, do not send her a friend request. Yes. So I will also mention that Mr. Rose, a little late to the game here because I happened about three weeks ago to see Top Gun Maverick. Mr. Rose, I know you are not a fan of Tom Cruise, but you texted me after you saw it and said, holy shit. What did you think of the movie, Bear? Holy shit, Jeff. Ah, thank you. And that's our review. We'll move on to yeah. the rest of our show. It was great. And I mentioned this to you on our phone call that we had uh, over the weekend as well. But we went and had dinner at Firebirds, which is Firebirds. I think it's Firebirds Grill. I don't know what they officially call it. Food's always good. It's a good experience, good cocktails, good food. But we were talking to the server who was extremely friendly. And he said, he goes, oh, you know, what do you guys got planned for tonight after dinner? We're like, we're walking across the parking lot to go to the movie theater. And we, what are you going to see? We're going to see Maverick. And he proceeded to tell me that I guess a really large percentage of their business has come from people that are going to see Maverick. Like he said, you know, it's crazy. Almost two months later, people coming in here are still going to see Maverick. And we've seen an increase in business. Then we went to buy the tickets and uh, we were, I guess, 45 minutes before the movie started. It's playing in two or three theaters and they have you pick out your seats. And the only seats were in the first and second row. And we were like, how is that? You know, and she goes, we haven't seen anything like this in years. She said prior to COVID, uh, I can't even tell you the last time we saw this type of buzz that two months later, this thing is selling out in all their theaters. It's not the only movie theater around. You then told me when I told you that you mentioned to me that uh, I believe this has become the number one film of all time on from a dollar perspective. This has surpassed uh, Barry's <laughs> all time favorite film, uh, Titanic. Uh, my heart will go on, Barry. I saw after we talked about this, I looked it up on IMDb as of the time we're recording this, and it's still in the theaters, obviously still making money. $1.2 billion it has made wow. so far, which is absolutely effing crazy, Bear. Well, as somebody who, A, is not a big Tom Cruise fan, B, 
doesn't really care much about things that are related to military and war on celluloid, on film. I got to tell you, this movie fucking blew me away. One of the most, this is the, this is what we talk about when you go to a movie and look, as, as we've discussed, there's movies and there's films, right? Exactly. And, and this is a movie. And if you want to have the most fun you're going to have for two hours, that's, that's legal and uh, doesn't require a partner. This is probably it. This movie, Jeff, was so much fun from start to finish all the way up to the very end. I sat there and we both said it. We both, you know, my girlfriend, Linda, we, we both said, oh, my God, is this like the best film you've seen in a long time? It's so much fucking fun. This film also, when it was done, got a standing ovation. And as we were walking out, there was a group of people, and it wasn't just guys, because that I expect. It was a group of people of male and female that were talking about how many times they've seen this movie. One's, oh, I've seen it four times already. Another one, I've seen it seven times already. One of the girls, this is my second time seeing it. So people are going back to see it multiple times. And this is not a film. The, the story, I actually find this, this, this film, this movie, much more compelling than the original Top Gun as well which I, I never really loved. Everything about this film works. I got to tell you, had a cocktail or two, drank a lot of water, had to pee my fucking brains out, but I wouldn't get out of my seat at least until I saw the Val Kilmer scene. And when I did, I got to tell you, again, I'm a huge Val Kilmer fan, and uh, that was a really, really touching scene. And as you said to me, he goes, you know why that's in the movie? And I said, why? And you said, because Tom Cruise is a good guy. and I think you're right, Jeff. You know, uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, you do not have to have seen the first Top Gun movie to understand. You know, this isn't one of these where you have to see the original to understand what the hell's going on. There are callbacks to the first movie. Uh, and I, I, much like Barry, I saw the first movie. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I know there are people that are like, oh, my God. Oh, will you be my wingman or whatever they say in the movie? I, I mean, I liked it, but it wasn't like some sort of game changer uh, this is the most epic movie I've ever seen. I liked it for what it was and no more. This, though, was a holy shit movie. I mean, just, you know, some of the footage of, you know, the dogfight sequences, uh, you know, where they're up in the uh, in the airplanes are just crazy. And you see every dollar they spent on making this movie, you see it on the screen. You know, it's just crazy. Now, when I said, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is a good guy. Tom Cruise is a good guy because it could have been, you know, there were people as Barry and I were discussing before we started recording, you know, there's no Meg Ryan in here. Uh, there's no uh, Kelly McGillis. There are people that were in the original that they did not bring back. There were people that were in the original that, you know, that were brought back and Val Kilmer through all his health issues, they, they could have skipped him, but Tom Cruise wanted to make sure this guy was a part of the movie. And, you know, Barry, why don't you talk about what, what they did? Uh, to basically include Val Kilmer's voice and the amazing technology used to bring Ke Val Kilmer's voice back. Yeah, and for anybody who doesn't know, and I'm assuming that almost everybody does at this point too, Val Kilmer, I believe, had uh, it was cancer of his larynx, or it, but somehow he has lost his voice, and it was cancer related. And again, great documentary, which is currently still on Prime, called Val, which talks about his life, career, and what's happened with his health. But with that, physically, 
he doesn't look so bad, at least in this film. He doesn't look so bad, looks older, looks a little more distinguished because, you know, Val's in his 60s at this point, but he has lost his voice. And to bring him up to this film and to actually get him, he's doing a lot of his character. And he's only really in one scene and where he's meeting with Tom Cruise. And what he does is instead of talking, he's essentially typing everything on a computer. He then leans into Tom Cruise and they have a conversation, which only goes a minute to two minutes max. And in hushed tones, he's able to talk. And he says something, spoiler alert, because I thought this was great. He says, Speaking of spoilers. I was going to say, holy cow, there you go. Uh, he, he says, who's the greatest pilot? You know, or I forget exactly what the verbiage was, but it's essentially who's the greatest Top Gun pilot of all time. And Tom Cruise, they laugh about it and all that. But what they did do, which is really fascinating, is they went back to, I guess, Val had shot a lot of footage on a video camera or a handheld camera over the years, which a lot of the documentary is based off of that. And uh, they went in and they took a lot of his vocal, fed it into a computer, and were, were able to actually, I guess – impose his voice i don't know what the term is but we're able to take his voice and actually dub it in when he moves his lips it's seamless like you don't know this is not the old days of you know 30 years ago where you clearly could see something was up this looks like val kilmer is legitimately talking and i guess in a way he is right jeff yeah and he as it showed in the documentary he's a complete audiophile yeah. uh, and 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 cinemaphile and so they took all this uh, stuff that he had recorded maybe years ago and as you said seamlessly fit it in to where you think that Val Kilmer is speaking in this movie and it's absolutely when you see that scene it's absolutely astounding I know that uh, Barry and I have mentioned that there are stories out there about Tom Cruise uh, about uh you know you, you don't have to love the guy, okay? But I'm sorry, thumbs up to Tom Cruise for including Val Kilmer in yes. this project. You know, definitely. So it led me to the question, and trust me, folks, eventually I'm going to get to what's on the rest of this show. All right. But led me to this question, Barry Rose, even though you said you're not a huge Tom Cruise fan, is Tom Cruise the biggest movie star? And when I say that, I mean like as far as – and like uh, money earned from his films and just the uh, when people think of the term movie star is Tom Cruise, the biggest movie star in the history of Hollywood. I think so. So it's going to be very hard for us to go back and to quantify what was happening in sure. the early days of film, because we don't, you know, and I'm assuming that maybe there were because a, there were less films. There wasn't a movie coming out every Friday or four movies every Friday. Movies were rare. So there may have been, if you're looking for three things, I believe Tom Cruise is the biggest movie star in the history of the genre, longevity of a career. Tom Cruise is 40 fucking years and yeah. 40 years into his career has the number one highest grossing film in the history of film. How do you discount that? Secondly, uh, so longevity. Secondly, dollar amount. His movies generally, even if they're not always great, they make a shit ton of money. I don't believe he's had a lot of dogs. And I, I don't know. I, I Off the top of my head, I'm, I can't come up with a bomb for Tom Cruise. Maybe, you know what, Vanilla Sky, but I think it still made money, right? Yeah. Even, even the stuff that doesn't do as well for Tom Cruise right. makes a lot of money. 
And then and they you- were, of course, they were very smart, Jeff. They were advertising the new Mission Impossible. Yeah. Before that, right, which had people all excited. I'm in agreement with you, though. I, I think he's biggest movie star of all time. You know, when you look up what uh, actor or actress has made the most, uh, you know, uh, dollars or brought in the most dollars to the theater. You know, when I did that, names that came up are like Samuel L. Jackson or uh, actually Scarlett Johansson and Robert Downey Jr. But think about it. OK, that's because all those three people were all in the Avengers series and the Marvel sure. Marvel was. But. You know, uh, when you think of how much money the Avengers, for example, made, would you say the Avengers is a Samuel L. Jackson movie? No, it's an ensemble piece. I mean, he's definitely part of it, but he's not the guy. Robert Downey Jr. was probably the closest to, you know, being able to say he's the guy. I mean, he made the Iron Man series, which are you know incredibly profitable and stuff like that. But, you know, Tom Cruise, the movies that he's been the star of that have made tons of movies. You go and you go, it's a Tom Cruise movie, you know, uh, the Mission Impossible movies. He's got other people in them that are great actors, but it's a Tom Cruise movie. This, you know, Top Gun, it, it, a lot of different stars in it and including this one, but it's a Tom Cruise movie. He's 100%. the reason that you're going in because you're yep. going in to see a fucking Tom Cruise movie, you know. So anyway, so 100 percent. And that's 100. Yeah. That's such a great point because, it, you know, there there are wrestlers like that. I remember back in the. 70s and 80s there i think Meltzer, but there would be you know who's appeared on on the cards that have drawn the most money and it wasn't like your hulk hogan it wasn't like guys like that it was a lot of times underneath guys that just had a a placement so with that you're right look samuel l jackson great actor great body of work uh, tons of great movies. No ton, question I mean, about it. Uh, tons of, but how many movies does Samuel L. Jackson carry on his own? I'm hard pressed to tell you more than one or two. Yeah. And Scarlett Johansson. I love her. She was my uh, hall pass for a while, for God's sakes. Right. But you know what? Uh, Scarlett Johansson, as great looking as she is and as much uh, fun as we have with her in the Marvel movies, it's not a Scarlett Johansson film. It's a Marvel movie. That's why you're going to see it. So uh, on that note, let's let's get back to uh, what's on this actual show, Barry. Because <laughs> right. otherwise we're going to be hey, it's four <laughs> hours in. I haven't even done the stinking intro. Uh, on air on episode 250, Breaking Q-Fade with Badger and Barry, besides a fun discussion of Top Gun Maverick, among other things, Barry, oh, we are going to New Orleans, Louisiana for our match of the week. We're doing a little Mid-South action. Jake the Snake Roberts versus our man. Brad Armstrong, B.A., we're talking April 16th, 1985, really good match. We are going to have a report from Mr. Lou Kippelman about his recent trip to watch a West Coast Pro show. It is very neighborhood with the sainted Mrs. Kippelman, by the way. We are going to be looking at, oh, Barry, during these summer months, we uh, don't want to forget people that are out on the old barbecue grill cooking out. What's the best hot dogs to make? We're going to be offering that. Barry always loves a little bit of food talk, so we're going to be talking about some a recent article I saw about people scamming restaurants. Oh. This is not the kind of thing that Barry Rose takes lightly. So why don't we now go, Barry? Let's talk our match of the week. Barry, our match of the week this week, we are going down to New Orleans. Probably uh, we're going to stop in, get some gumbo, some etouffee mm. at a nice restaurant. Uh, you been to New Orleans, Barry? Oh, and when I was there, I got gumbo, etouffee, jambalaya, all of it. Fucking love Cajun Creole cooking. Absolutely. Well, we are going 
April 16th, 1985, as it is Jake, the Snake Roberts, taking on one of our favorites, Barry, Brad Armstrong. You had a chance to watch this match. Tell the folks what you thought. Yeah, absolutely, too. And this is uh, this is one of those matches that uh, doesn't have any commentary to it. And I, and I like that. And we've seen that a lot with Houston. Uh, I believe it was – and I think Houston was tied into – at least the majority at the time, Houston was tied into the UWF, and uh, that may be part of the reason. But this one does come from New Orleans. There is no audio, but this works. And why does this work without having audio? Because you can hear what they're saying in the ring, and where normally we don't want to hear what they're saying in the ring, it truly does work. There are moments when Jake Roberts is taunting Brad Armstrong and saying things to him, and and the audio is completely picked up. You hear it. There are other aspects. And I got to say the referee and is the referee. Is it Ron West or Charlie? Uh, no, Charlie I think it's Ronnie West. And it I think, by the okay. way, to uh, to add to what you were saying, I think they maybe had Ronnie West mic'd up. And that's why you hear Brad and you hear uh, Jake uh, doing a little running commentary there. It had to be right. Like, because you sure. it's clear. And I got to say, but it really worked. And of course, you got to be careful. And uh, maybe they picked the two right guys to to do this with. Uh, but with that, too. Uh, so this is look, this is a good match. Jake Roberts is never going to be confused with a, uh, a Jack Briscoe or a Kurt Angle or a Brian Danielson. There was a knock on Jake for years that he wasn't a good wrestler. And there's a lot of truth to that, because as as an actual wrestler, he doesn't really do a whole lot. It's a very, very limited set of maneuvers and moves that he does. With that, from a psychological standpoint, he may be one of the greatest of all time. And we have been very critical of Jake. Uh, I think the entire Arcadian Vanguard network at various times has been really critical of Jake, and a lot of it's probably deservedly so. With that, if you're you're talking in, in the mindset is almost like Johnny Valentine. It's like, you know, I don't remember J Johnny Valentine's career was done by 1975. And I, I saw him as a kid, but I don't really remember a whole lot specifically of the way that he worked. But what I've seen footage and what I've seen from people that do remember that were there was that Johnny didn't do a whole lot. Johnny would come out. He would do an arm bar. He would glare at the crowd. He would drop an elbow, but he was methodical and, and he took his time to connect with the crowd and the audience so that everything he did really meant something and they reacted to it. Jake Roberts is identical in that. Like, you know, it, it, he's getting the exact same reaction that apparently Johnny everything Valentine means got. something. Every, but that's the beauty of it, because when you watch Jake. Everything he he's fantastic in this match, by the way, like from this, again, the psychological standpoint, he's not doing uh, great drop kicks or shit that you've never seen before. But every time he backs up to the ropes, his body language, the fact that he waves his finger, his eyes bulge, everything fucking seems to work. I'm hard pressed to tell you from a psychological standpoint, there's better, better, a better heel maybe the last 30 or 40 years. I don't know if, I don't know who, who's, who's been a better heel. Uh, some other notes, Brad's physique. Now, I don't know if this was chemically enhanced. I'm assuming it was, he's still in him, but 
my God, was Brad Armstrong in like shape that I think 99.9% of everybody listening would dream to be in at some point. The guy is how just. How dare you, by the way? How, oh, how dare you think that I'd be jealous with my magnificent physique? I would. And I'm in, yeah. I'm in decent shape. And I, I look at this guy and go, holy fuck. But Jeff, th- this requires hours every day in the gym, which I, clearly I would not do. Uh, but his physique. The other thing that I, I like what Brad does, Brad did uh, kip-ups and kick-ups, yes. kip-ups, whatever you want to call them. And uh, Jake was knocking him down. I think it was a clothesline, and he knocks him down. I believe it's three times, and Brad does the kip-up every time. I'm not quite sure I've ever seen a kip-up that good either. Like, Brad literally was just, you know, agile and just just so perfect in what he does. Uh, so we're talking about Jake, and we're talking about – uh, his psychological uh, advantage and, and the way that he deals with wrestling. So he does a lot with the referee, and that's why I asked who the ref, and it does look like Ronnie West. And and Ronnie West, I don't remember Ronnie doing a lot in Mid-South. With that, he was an excellent referee. And there are points when Ron and Jake Roberts are going back and forth with each other, and Jake has got this evil smile Uh, as he's talking to him, like, it's just that this is the shit that if I was running a wrestling school, which will never happen, obviously, but if I was even giving any advice, go, if you're going to be a heel, go watch this match. This is the match you you watch. Do you you know what I put in my notes? It's really funny that you just mentioned that I put Sean Pascoe. (laughs) There you go. Because when we went to the matches in Lutz, uh, and we were talking to Sean, he mentioned one of his students and that he had told the guy to go and watch uh, Tully Blanchard matches yep. to yep. learn how to be a heel and to work a crowd. And Sean, if you're listening to this, have your students watch Jake in this match. And Brad, too, because Brad is great as, as baby the babyface yeah. fighting back from being down. It's it's a great textbook example. And we're talking about a match that's uh, 37 years old. But it is a textbook example of old school wrestling being built into a, a, a logical finish, uh, great heel work, great baby face work, great referee work by, by Ronnie and his interaction with the heel. I'm sorry. Please continue. Yeah, And look, and to that point, 100 percent, everybody in this match, whether it's the, the Brad and Jake or, or Ron West, Everybody is this is the top performance from each of these uh, each of these individuals. And, and, you know, Sean should Sean should show and uh, Sean should what, do that. It's easy for you to say. Go ahead. Sean should show. Yeah, uh, he th- this is the match that he should show uh, his his students. And it's this is a great example of a guy who was physically really limited, who made a worldwide career because of his of his understanding of professional wrestling and look not everybody does I don't you know we don't understand it obviously uh but Jake whether it's Armstrong whether it's the referee whether it's just him reacting to the crowd there there's a spot where Jake uh is basically uh, I think drop kicked outside of the ring and he rolls outside the ring and he sits on his knees and the look on his face and the fans are taunting him, and he kind of turns around and gives them this evil smile. It's genius. It's genius. Uh, Jake's bumps, again, so I talk about Jake being limited as a wrestler, and Jake was. However, Jake could bump, and boy, do we get some good bumps out of this match. The other thing I like, 
and I thought this was really interesting. His finisher, the DDT at the time, was so over that the fans were chanting for the DDT. And Jake was the fucking heel and a major heel here. And they were still chanting for the DDT because as a finisher, it was super over. Spoiler alert, this match does end with Jake giving Brad a DDT and getting the win. And I only say that because I usually say, Jeff, tell us about the finish. But I only say it because the impact that this DDT had at the end, fans were like ecstatic to see it. Like they were really excited that he's doing the DDT here. And it also made me realize, you know, and look, we watch AEW. We like it, but we're critical when we need to be. There's matches where guys get two or three DDTs and they get right back up, right? Sure. This this was a period where the DDT was a finisher. I think this is, if this is not a great match, and that's certainly for the viewer to determine, this is a match, if you want to understand professional wrestling, this might be the best example we've ever actually posted up, Jeff. So uh, a couple things. Uh, I believe this is uh, footage that Joel Watts would have shot for his uh, his father uh, to use on the Power Pro show uh, and things like that. A um, couple things I noticed uh, when the match first starts is uh, uh, Brad, the way that he works the headlock. Uh, there is a clip I remember seeing uh, where Jack Briscoe had gone to New Japan and was working a match with Antonio Inoki, and someone had posted, this is the way that you lock up with somebody and they lock up and Jack immediately grabs Anoki into a headlock and just absolutely locks it in. And it's like, he's squeezing a watermelon with his arms. And that was what Brad was doing here. The way that he was cinching that headlock in on Jake was just absolutely textbook. Uh, something that is, uh, in a lot of ways lost in time, boy, these two guys, when they lock up, you really believe, you know, like they're locking up and it's like a couple bulls out in the yard going, you know, or Rams going head to head. I mean, they're doing it with purpose. There's no fucking around. You know, this is not like, uh, I, I'm not trying to crap on it. This is no like uh, light working Lucha spots or, or anything like that. Uh, nobody's doing a Tope Suicida uh, or a Pescado. These guys are just working a hold. And when I say that, I'm not saying it like, oh, they're going to work hold. Oh, no, because these guys, as they work the hold, they make you believe. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I remembered as I'm watching this match is, you know, Brad Armstrong was a former North American champion. Right. This was not Brad Armstrong, who was some mid-card guy who's uh, got a match with Jake in New Orleans. No, this is Brad Armstrong, the former North American champion, which, by the way, Jake, I don't believe ever held the North American title, or at least, I'm sorry, he did not hold it at this point. I think he won it uh, January, February of 1986, like right before he went to the uh, the Federation. So um, the other thing uh, about this is you mentioned Jake's psychology uh, and the and the you mentioned it the portion where he's being scolded by the official yep. and he looks at the official and is smiling at him and he has such a sinister fucking smile and he's got this you know, go ahead and hit me thing. I, I think he says he then gets punched by Brad. He pulls Brad's hair and he begins kicking Brad. He doesn't just like leave him laying there. He starts kicking him. And um, when Brad finally does begin uh, the comeback 
and something that slowly builds up when he finally does begin to make his comeback and he punches Jake, the crowd just fucking erupts and it erupts because they had, you know, basically been building up to that spot. Uh, there's another moment where Jake has a gimmick and he hides it in the back of his trunks. I don't, I don't recall a lot of guys hiding the gimmick in the back of the trunks. Do you? No, no, that, that was rare. Yeah. And so like, uh, and Ronnie West is going around and he's trying to find it and he's trying to, and when he finally gets it and he holds it up and he's like going, I, I, I friggin' caught you, uh, you know, and uh, then there's another moment where Brad is thrown out of the ring and, you know, you mentioned, you know, Ronnie being mic'd up. So a lot of times you would hear uh, people in the crowd, uh, you know, you mentioned hearing the crowd go DDT, but there was a guy at ringside who starts as Brad is thrown out going, shake it off, Brad, shake it off, Brad. And, you know, the people are really behind him. Uh, and then there's a moment where when Brad comes back in the ring and he's trying to he's trying to get himself to stand up and Jake goes over. I thought this was a great heel move, by the way. And he steps on Brad's fingers. Yes. And as he's stepping on Brad's fingers, he goes, come on, Brad, come on, get up. And then he looks at the crowd and he says, this is so easy. And it's like so freaking sinister. And it was so awesome. And uh, so the finish is uh, the ref gets bumped uh, twice. There's a battle for Jake's boot, which Jake had been trying to take off. Uh, the boot flies into the uh, the ref. He goes down. Uh, then uh, Jake hits Brad with the DDT. The referee gets back up, counts the one, two, three. Match goes about 21 minutes. This is great old school stuff. And it's not great because you got a bunch of guys doing all kind of high spots. Uh, yeah, and not that there's anything wrong with that. It's, no. it's it's just the psychology of the match, and especially Brad is really good, Ronnie's really good, but holy shit, Jake Roberts is on fire in this match as a heel. And, you know, it's always interesting. One of the things my old friend, uh, Brother Jeff Steele, used to say is, you know, when you have a guy that's a really effective heel and he turns babyface, he's more over with the crowd because he was so hated. And, you know, when Jake finally turned babyface in Mid-South, he was super over and, you know, it really meant something because he had been so sinister and, and so disliked by the fans. And you mentioned the people calling for the DDT, you know, and, and that just shows that there was starting to be as much as they hated him. That move was so over that there was a portion of the crowd that was kind of starting to sway towards Jake a little bit. And it's all due to Jake's psychology and what he brought to. And you're right. Was he, you know, uh, a guy with a super physique? Uh, was he a, a huge bump taker? He didn't have to be because he had so much going on upstairs uh, that, you know, that's kind of what made him the main event guy that he was, Bear. Yeah, and it's, you know, I, I got to say, too, I, I have been critical of Jake and uh, for various reasons. But after watching this match, I'm going to reel that in a little bit and give him a lot more props because I I truly believe this might be one of the great heel performances of all time. And, and the, what makes that interesting is this was for new Orleans, right? This wasn't going to be nationally broadcast to show you what a great heel. This was Jake at this stage doing what Jake did, which is probably what got him hired by the WWF. Barry, you know, recently here on the old Breaking Cave, Ava Bader and Barry, the three best friends that you didn't know you had. Uh, Barry, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the uh, uh, the match from West Coast Pro with the speedball, Mike Bailey and uh, uh, Takeshka. I can never remember how to pronounce his first name. Uh, you recall that uh, fine episode, Bear? 
Love that episode. Yeah. Well, you may also recall that our beloved producer, Lewis Kippelman, yes. had said that he was going to go to a West Coast pro show in the future. So now, oh, Lewis! Surprising this, uh, throwing it at uh, Lou. Uh, Lou, join us, uh, please. I, I'm right here, Jim. Oh, I, it's like... There he is. It, like, it's like a warm hug from Lou with that voice. <laughs> so, Lou, you recently had a chance to go to a West Coast pro show. Wow. Yes, yes, indeed. So, first of all, let's do a little discussion of the West Coast Pro Show. What was the highlight of the entire show, besides meeting brother shipper Eric Sun, from what I understand? I don't know, maybe that was the low light of the night. I don't know. What was the best match, in your opinion? Well, uh, not only did I get to meet Eric Sun, but I also saw uh, my pal Matt Mann, uh, who I believe is a brother shipper as well. Currently recovering from throat. Th uh, I'm recovering from from tongue surgery. He's recovering from throat surgery. Godspeed. Uh, boy, one of the bigger things is, well, I you know I think the people really popped for the uh, the, the main event, which was the Motor City Machine Guns Sabin and Shelley defeating the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Uh, Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs, currently with uh, New Japan Strong, that was a that was a big deal. Uh, the other kind of main event status match: Jacob Fatu versus Filthy Tom Lawler for the West Coast Pro Championship. I gotta say, I was not expecting uh, the action to spill out near me on the aisle as much as it did. So I really got the 3D experience, so, I have to tell you. ballpark figure, how many people were in the house? It was at a different venue than their usual uh, venue, which is about a, I've been told, about a 300 or 325 seat room. This was, uh, I think, about capacity, about 600. And it was, it was a sellout. It was standing room only. And Speedball Mike Bailey was, in fact, uh, there and uh, appeared? Indeed he was. He faced a young local talent named Starboy Charlie, who I've been told is 17 years old. Wow. He acquitted himself well, but old Speedball eventually overpowered him. But old Starboy has nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, it's interesting. So you got to meet a couple of brother shippers, Matt Mann, and as you just mentioned, uh, best wishes to him as he, I believe it was throat surgery. Lou, you mentioned you had tongue surgery, that this is a shoot? Uh, no, that's a word. I, I, I think <laughs> we're talking about his stammering bearer. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. got it. Ah, uh, I got it. So you got to meet Eric's son. Now, Eric is my in-and-out brother. Uh, whenever Eric goes wait, to— Wait, wait a minute. You're talking, of course, about the restaurant, right, Barry? <clears throat> See what you did. Oh, shit. That's almost as good as <laughs> I Love Cox from the early <laughs> episodes. Eric's going to get a shirt, uh, the in-and-out oh, brother. Yeah, there we go. Jesus, Eric, I apologize. You were <laughs> this— I told Eric, I told like a, a couple shit stories and five years later, it's, it's like a, it follows me around. So yeah, you and I now, so, okay. All right. Rewind. Hold on. <laughs> so Eric loves in and out burger, uh, mm -hmm. and is, uh, is always there. Do you know for a fact, had Eric had in and out burger before or after this show, Lou? That unfortunately I do not know. Lou, it did was... you have in and out burger before or after the show? I did not. Uh, more importantly, Lou, did you have a little in and out 
Uh, well, that's uh, well, <laughs> with your brother, right? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> No, but uh, about a block from uh, the venue, there's this really good taqueria. And my wife and I enjoyed a, a few, like, street tacos before the festivities. Did the sainted Mrs. Kippelman go to the show with you? Indeed, she did. Wow. She, she called it date night. Oh. And I'm, and I'm like, wow, your expectations have been really lowered. <laughs> During our our relationship. So as as someone, I'm guessing she is uh, not uh, a huge wrestling fan. Would that be fair to say? She'll say for for my sake, she's uh, particularly tolerant of the sport okay. of pro no, no. wrestling. But she likes the high-flying stuff like New Japan. Okay. Or if she sees Lucha on TV or whatever, she pops for that. Okay. No, m- the reason I was asking was, as someone who's maybe not a huge wrestling fan, did she enjoy what was being presented by West Coast Pro? Absolutely. Okay. Wow. She, Yeah, she she really enjoyed herself. You know, I think all the all the action itself was really above par, I think, when you... Compare it to like, you know, your average indie show, because they bring in a lot of like top talent. Sure. Yeah. 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 We heard that. So, what would you say was the best match of the evening? Oh, well, I'll say there was one women's match on the card: Masha Slamovich versus Zeta Zhang, and they had a competitive, really good match. You know, mainly chain wrestling. This is stuff you may not expect from a women's match, but they really brought it. As for, hmm, as for the the best match of the evening, you know, I think that tag team main event they they pulled out all the stops. Uh, Fatu and Lawler, uh, you know, you would expect something good from them as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I, I think there was something for everybody. I think the, the the main event with the Motor City Machine Guns, it was I called it like a textbook tag team match. They really they had the psychology down well and got everybody popping in the right places. So Sweet Lou, yeah. First off, Mrs. Kippelman is a keeper. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. If you Indeed. get yes, you get your wife to go with you to wrestling and she, she calls it a date night. You want to lock this one uh, down, so you already have. Yeah, maybe sign the long-term contract. Maybe, there, yeah. <laughs> it, maybe indeed, I have. Official, sweet Lou. Let's. Yeah. Let's you can go it. all DeAndre Ayton with this one, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. uh, my question, Lou, but Jeff, which I, I want to relay, Masha, oh. Masha Masha Slamovich. Are you familiar with her at all? I am not. It's a great I, name, though. It is, so apparently she's a legit Russian, and her gimmick is the Cold War Russian gimmick that we, we saw so many times years ago, right? Does she so, sing the Russian National Anthem? Uh, Lou, did she sing the Russian National Anthem that <laughs> night? Uh, n- no, I was not subjected to that. No. Gotcha. So she was, and apparently she is really good. She had all the makings to be a big star in Impact. Impact, because of the current climate and what's taking place in the Ukraine, decided to put her character on ice, even though she's a legit Russian, which I really find really interesting. And apparently, as Lou said, uh, she really is a talent. Like, she can go really far. Yeah. Yeah. And on a recent West Coast Pro 
card, she faced a returning Debbie Malenko. Oh, oh, nice. And then, you know, I think I heard good things about that match, too, uh, which I'm not surprised. So uh, the main event, how long uh, did we get there? Was it a uh, 10, 15, uh, or did it go 30 minutes? What are we looking at? Well, uh, I got to say, and if there's, you know, anything, you know, even remotely negative about this card, I could, uh, you know, note. And it's a sin committed by just about every indie promotion and, you know, even AEW. By the end of it, everybody was just kind of worn out because it uh, because it was like almost four hours. Sure. Wow. How many matches? Nine matches. Okay. All right. So, you know, people should have been more on their feet for the action in the ring. But I think everybody was just kind of fatigued at that point. The tag team match, I want to say it was around 15 minutes or so. So when you first show up to the venue or maybe ahead of time, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what do they get for a ticket uh, for one of their shows? We got general admission, and that was $40 per ticket. VIP, a.k.a. front row, ringside was $50, I believe. And then the night of, they were selling standing room tickets for 25 so uh, when you think about what you paid for your tickets for the GA, for the general admission, uh, you get nine matches, goes four hours. Do you say to yourself afterwards, I got my money's worth? Or is it like, eh, you know, maybe I didn't get what I paid for? Honestly, I believe we totally got our money's worth on it. You know, I think they could charge commensurately by the quality of the workers they bring in. And also, you know, kind of the quality of the local talent, too. A lot of this talent, the local guys, Game Changer Wrestling is coming uh, this upcoming weekend to San Francisco. I think their second show in the Bay Area. And a lot of those guys are going to be on on that show as well. Sweet Lou, this being your first uh, your first show, will you will there be a second show? More importantly, will you be taking Mrs. Kippelman with you again? <laughs> right. <laughs> I definitely want to come back. I mean, the crowd itself, a lot of people, it was, it seemed like a tight knit community between the fans themselves and also between the fans and the wrestlers. So I thought that was really cool. Something I didn't even notice until after the show, all the matches had clean finishes. Oh, that's always a positive giant Baba. Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, I take that as, Okay, this is as far from Outlaw Mud Show as you could get. And their upcoming shows, they're having a tournament in August called West Coast Cup, a two-night event. In November, they're getting together with Pro Wrestling Revolution, which is a a more Lucha-style indie promotion in the Bay Area. And they're bringing in workers from Dragon Gate and Pro Wrestling Noah from Japan for a tournament called King of Indies. So if I can make it to that, absolutely. If I can just make it to uh, one of their smaller shows in the interim in South San Francisco, I'd definitely like to. And absolutely, we could make it a date night. I think my wife would be A-OK with that. Last question as we wrap up this segment. Uh, the beginning of the show, the ring announcer is, uh, you know, getting ready to uh, introduce the first match. Was there any, uh, uh, on behalf of the ring announcer, did he in fact identify you uh, in the building uh, as the producer of Breaking Cafe by Bowdernberry uh, and enhance your celebrity status? 
no recognition as such. I'm at this point with uh, the Bay Area community. I I haven't shown face much, so I feel like I'm a minnow in a in a larger pond. Perhaps that'll change in the near future. By God, Barry, all I'm going to say is on Twitter, I'm reaching out to the boys at West Coast Pro, and I want Lou uh, to get a shout out from the ring announcer at the next show. That's all absolutely I'm should be should get a should have the best seats in the house, and truthfully, there should be somebody <laughs> Especially there. Especially if Mrs. Kippelman is going to say, "By God, somebody there, almost a personal concierge to take care of Mrs. Kippelman." You're getting a straight in those doors. You got to take uh-huh. care of her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I consciously didn't want to big time anybody and and pull the "Do you know who I am?" card. Let me let, let me clearly tell you, it doesn't work for Jeff and I, Lou. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we try it all the time. Yes, yeah, so. Right, right. Barry, you know, with the summer coming up, we got Fourth of July on the horizon. I'm going to ask you, Barry, do you like a good hot dog? Love hot dogs. You like a good wiener, Barry? I like a good wiener. You like. Biting into a good wiener or just, okay, we're going down a road. I don't think we need to go down. So, Barry Rose, I have come across a thing that I think we can talk about. Best hot dogs for summer barbecues, according to pro grillers, not that amateur asshole crowd. We're talking the professionals here, Barry. So, we're going to, they they sampled it. They're judging uh, based on, first of all, appearance, texture. You like a good texture. uh, And flavor. So, are you ready, Barry Rose? This is very exciting. Yes, Thank absolutely. You. All right. Best people-pleasing hot dogs. Number one, Barry, Hebrew National. Barry, they answer to a higher authority. <laughs> they do answer. You know what? Hebrew National is a is a really good hot dog. If there was a complaint that I had when it came to Hebrew National, it would be the size of the hot dog. It's not the thickest hot dog. And I, you, you like your wiener. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop right there because, of course, uh, yes, all of us, we know that as Barry sits here and says, you like a good size hot dog, a good size wiener. Yes, okay, we've already done the jokes at the beginning of the segment, so please, Barry, continue. Yeah, so it's it's not girthy enough, the wiener. The yeah. second thing is when you buy it, Hebrew National, the regular hot dogs come seven to a pack. What the fuck? They come seven to a pack. And the hot dog buns are eight to a pack. Exactly. What the so fuck what am I supposed to do just... with this extra bun? How do you, is this is the higher authority is telling you only seven dogs should go in here. It shouldn't. It's got to be an odd number. It can't be an even number. What the fuck? It's another example of anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, Barry uh, rearing its ugly head. I would I, agree. I, I would don't agree. know why, but yeah, somehow. It is. So <laughs> next, right. Barry, best jumbo hot dog, Rostelli's Wagyu hot dogs. Have you ever had Rostelli's Wagyu? So I've had Rostelli. This is a Philadelphia-based deal well, because. Ristelli's is a Philadelphia company. I didn't realize that they're national, if they even are. I i don't think I've ever had the hot dog, but I've had Ristelli's meat. It's fantastic. Best ballpark-style hot dogs. Very this is a, a favorite of the, uh, the Bowdrin household when we're All cooking right. out. Nathan's. Do you like a good Nathan's hot dog? I do. So I got to tell you, if, if, I, if I'm making my trip down to Florida – driving from PA to Florida and I pass a rest stop and they have Nathan's, I'm always tempted. I I don't always go in, but I'm always tempted to go in, get a Nathan's hot dog and those fat, think really thick crinkle cut French fries that they have where they put the little fork in at the very top. I like Nathan's a lot. See, I like Nathan's hot dogs. Mrs. Bowdrin likes Nathan's and the fries you mentioned. 
Myself, not a fan oh. of those fries. I like Nathan's hot dogs, but not the fries. I, I, you know, I don't know why. So next, Barry, okay. hot dogs with the best snap. We're going Dietz and Watson. I believe that is, uh, what do you call it, your Costco brand? No, it's so Dietz and <laughs> No, Dietz that's why I see it. That's why I'm saying that. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it could be. Dietz and Watson is actually, I believe, also very, very popular in this area. Dietz and Watson is the cut-rate boar's head. So they're a big company. The quality of the meat seem like they're fine. They're just below boar's head, though. So – uh, Barry, do you like your uh, your hot dogs? Controversial opinion. You like them on the grill? Do you like them, uh, you know, boiled? Uh, how do you like your hot dogs best? I like them on a flat top griddle where you put them on the. Uh, so I don't like them boiled, though I'll eat them, but I don't really like them boiled. Uh, if you put them on a grill, a barbecue grill, you might get the char on the outside. As much as I like char, I don't always like it on a hot dog. I like mine griddled, just the way that Nathan's does it, actually where they, uh, they just keep them on a flat-top griddle, just turn them so all sides get brown. Big fan of that way. See, I like a nice char on my oh. So, you know, I, I like it to do it because Mrs. Bowdrin, if we're cooking them on the grill, hey, hey don't put too much a char on my hot dog. That's my impression of Mrs. Bowdrin, where I'm like, I want to see some fucking burn marks on that bad boy. So, you know, like when you bite into them, you get the nice snap, as we mentioned here. So uh, the question for you, the listeners, what is your favorite brand of hot dog? So, Barry, I know you love a good discussion of food and the restaurant industry. And lo and behold, from the pages on Twitter of NBC6 in South Florida, I read this headline and I wanted to address this subject with you which I feel like you're a good person to answer this question. The headline reads, scammers hit Miami's finest restaurants with bad reviews. Give us uh, the the body of the story. Give us $75 or we will continue to bombard you with one-star reviews. That's essentially the threat being faced by about a dozen of Miami's most celebrated restaurants. For example, uh, I believe it's pronounced Boa Day and Little Haiti just received a coveted Michelin star, the mark of excellence in the restaurant world. At the same time, someone is inundating Google with one-star reviews of the foodie Mecca. Uh, Alex Mayer, the owner and chef, said it was pretty wild, like a one-star reviews, like most chefs like to say, we don't read the reviews, we don't read Yelp, we don't read Google, but they're all lying, we're all lying, we do. So Barry... Is this something that is just a new thing, or have you heard about this for a while? So, no, it's not a new thing. It's, But I actually heard this story, I believe it was yesterday, and uh, somebody, had, not somebody from our Facebook group, just somebody I'd worked in in, with, in restaurants when I was both a server and a manager, Jeff. That's a birthday gift re- for Spiker. Go ahead. There it is. And uh, they they reached out and they said, have you have you seen this? And it, it is hitting Miami, but it's also it's hitting it's hitting the the, the entire country. Oh, of course. Hitting, no, it's, uh, that's yeah, yeah. where the story was featured. Probably even hitting the entire uh, the entire world. This is fairly common. It's also highly illegal. There's I forget exactly what the legal term for this is. Uh, I believe but, it's blackmail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's even there, there's like a statute or something okay. like there's something that, you know, there's some legalese jargon that I, I don't even remember that you that you can't you you can't you can't do this with that 
Let's talk about Yelp for a little bit, too. So I know a lot about the different services that are involved with food and beverage, whether it's Yelp, Open Table. There's some other companies out there. Uh, and Yelp is Yelp is probably the biggest of all food aggregation websites and the fact that uh, they do reviews, they do photos. Uh, and a lot of people go to Yelp. It is the it's probably I believe it's the number one food and beverage app that is currently available by a wide margin, though, like it's, you know, whatever number two is, and I forget what it is, and it might be McDonald's, uh, just to give you an idea, Yelp actually is far and away number one. So uh, Yelp, you know, and I, I've been in the restaurant business, but I've been in restaurant reservations and websites. I've been involved with that for the last 11 years as my primary source of income. And other than the the website, Jeff, which uh, in in our Facebook group, which uh, in in the podcast, which we make a lot of money from, obviously. significant amount of money. Please oh, absolutely! That's where I'm getting the the summer house in Saint Tropez, based <laughs> off of the Patreon money. So with that, Yelp had a very similar business practice, and I I'll share this with you. I'm not a fan of Yelp. I'm not speaking out of turn, uh, and I feel that I can share this with you. So, and again, it's just you and Lou. So I I know that I can share this with you guys. So Yelp would really we're down we're down to three listeners at this. We're down point. to three, and uh, and probably Mrs. Kippelman now, who's a wrestling fan. Uh, as long as it leads to a date night, but Yelp had a business practice in that. First off, we should quantify it. Anyone can go to Yelp and write a review of any business, whether you have visited that business or not. So let that sink in for a minute that. So if I if I don't like the guy, let, I'm not even saying from a business perspective, let's say my next door neighbor that I don't like. And that's that is that was a shoot, by the way, before I moved. I just never talked about it. But let's say my next door neighbor who I don't like owned a restaurant or a business and I didn't like the guy, I could go online and completely trash him with multiple reviews that are completely fictitious, therefore damaging his business, right? Then restaurants would go to Yelp and say, hey, this isn't true. You know, whether I've never offered up this product before, how could they say I didn't have it or whatever the review was? And Yelp would say that we don't remove any reviews. It's part of our uh, mission statement and how we operate. We don't re remove a review, even though you're claiming it's false. Where the blackmailing and the legalized extortion comes in Yelp would then say, but if you advertise with us, we can suppress the review, meaning we'll push that bad review to the very bottom of your uh, reviews. Ha, ha, ha. That's interesting. And, yeah, and we'll push up your good ones. However, it's going to cost you three to $400 a month. Now, there were class action lawsuits brought. California was one state that I was aware of because they're based out of California. I think the other state was New York. And uh, that that to me, and I would meet with restaurants again, you know, working with another company and they would say, what do you know about Yelp? And I would say, I actually know a lot about Yelp. And I would hear these stories from restaurants. This wasn't a one off either. I would hear these stories. You know, most restaurateurs are they're very unhappy with Yelp. Whether you subscribe to what with one of their services or not, they're very unhappy because again, you don't have any idea what's taking place. Let me give you a really uh heartbreaking example. There was 
five, six, seven years ago, a new donut shop opening up in the town that I lived in of Ambler, PA. It was called uh, Very uh, Imaginative Ambler Donuts. And uh, even before they opened, they were getting bad reviews. And the reviews were essentially attacking the family that was opening up the, 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 the store, the donut shop. When they opened, horrible reviews were coming in literally three an hour or something close to it. I went, I think I went opening day or the next day. I mean, it's fucking homemade donuts, right? So I went, I got to tell you, fantastic. So it didn't make any sense to me about the reviews. And I, I actually asked the guy working there, and this was a family run business, two sons, a mother and a father were running this business. And let me tell you, opening up a donut place isn't all cake. See what I did there, right? But it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. You want to open up donuts? That means you're in there at four o'clock in the morning to get the donuts ready for breakfast, right? When most people get them between seven and nine o'clock. Time so, to make the donuts. That's it. They were in there at four o'clock, seven days a week. I talked to the guy and I triggered him and I, and I didn't mean to. And he started weeping behind the counter and telling me. And what he said was, uh, this is this is severely damaged our business. We're getting hate mail and it all originated right there. And he pointed right across the street to Dunkin Donuts. Ah, our friends it, at Dunkin. Are, so, I, again, I hate Dunkin Donuts. This is not really the component of why it's more the product that's being offered. And, and most Dunkin Donuts are franchises. So it's not like the company is backing this at all. This would have been an unscrupulous franchisee right across the street. And they were somehow able to get, because I guess there was a couple of comments that had been made about the family. And it, I think it crossed the line. I don't fully understand it, but they were able to get the, uh, the police involved and they were able to trace it back to the people at Dunkin' Donuts. Sadly, within six months, this business was gone. And this all originated on a review website like this. I wasn't aware, and I don't think it was occurring where they were asking for money, but you are seeing this a lot. And with Yelp, which is probably where these reviews come from, Yelp will never, as I stated, Yelp will never remove a review. The only person that can take a bad review down is the person that originated it and posted it. So that's how this whole thing of $75 with bad reviews is uh, really come into play. I think Yelp, I think if this continues, Yelp is looking at another class action lawsuit and deservedly fucking so. So I guess the first question I have, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, is why would you open, as an independent donut shop, privately owned, why would you open up a shop right across the street from Dunkin' Donuts? Did, well, he, did you ask it, him that? I, I didn't, but it shouldn't, it, the truth is it shouldn't have mattered because, you know, Jeff, you've had, there was that donut place in Georgia, right near the Publix that I went to. And I think you yeah. had been there. Those donuts are spectacular, right? I, it isn't like, to me, it's not competition that, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, the name Donuts may be in the name, but it's really two different products. You want, you want Dunkin'. And I think a lot of people go to Dunkin', not necessarily for the donuts these days. They're going for coffee, which seems to be the number one seller by far. They get the donut or muffin because they're in there, or maybe they get a breakfast sandwich, but it's two different worlds. So I, I did not ask at the same time, this had been a coffee place, uh, 
what were the names of the, the other than Starbucks, the coffee chains? This was a chain. Pete's, uh, was, I think it was Pete's Coffee. Okay. I was going to say, isn't there a Barney's? Wasn't Barney's? Maybe uh, it was Barney's. Yeah. Remember Barney's years ago? Yeah. Geez, they're gone. Barney's was great too. Uh, Starbucks killed them. But th- this was a, a coffee place, but it was in a great location. On one side, you had, uh, it was in an intersection, first off, Dunkin' Donuts on one. On the other side, you had a 7 Eleven. The third side was a, is a place called Costa's Deli, where they do cheesesteaks and sandwiches. And then, of course, you had the donut shop on the fourth side. So uh, the amount of traffic that goes through there, absolutely huge. The other advantage that this place had that Duncan did not have, they had a drive through. And I bet that really burned uh, it burned a hole in uh, in their 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 jeans over at Duncan. I bet they were really ticked off about that as well. But the end result was this was the American dream for this family. Again, of course, two sons, a wife, and a husband, and these fucking dicks over at Duncan decide to go full out nuts on these people and create all this fictitious bullshit. And these people lost their business. They lost their their livelihood based off of that. So I, I guess the reason I ask is, let's be candid. You know, you and sure. I, for all these episodes, have uh, tried to encourage people go out uh, and seek out locally owned businesses, restaurants, uh, you know, donut shops, as opposed to going to your uh, your national chains and stuff like that. But there are certainly a percentage of the population, maybe of our listeners, that. You go for what you know, and if you're driving on the street and you see Ambler Donuts on one side and Dunkin' Donuts, and if Dunkin', if you're not Barry Rose and Dunkin' Donuts doesn't bother you that much, you're like, okay, I've got a known variable here of how much, you know, like the we talked about it before, the floor and ceiling of what you're going to get, where as you go to Ambler, yeah, maybe you're going to get the best donuts you've ever had in your life, but there's also that chance, maybe I'm going to be disappointed, so do I go with what I know Versus taking a chance on what I don't. And that's, you know, unfortunate because, you know, and then, of course, you compound it with some asshole at uh, at Duncan, as they like to call themselves now, uh, who's writing a horrible review. Not, of course, the entire uh, corporate structure, but this one individual or maybe two individuals from this one uh, store in the chain is doing it. And so, you know, that that's really unfortunate. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You talk about how they can't take it down. And it led me to thinking about two different stories. This is not really uh, related to Yelp, okay? So there is a blog uh, that I follow that is uh, basically eccentric to the Broward County Courthouse where I used to work, okay? There is an attorney that started this thing. Good Lord, it's been maybe 10 years ago now, okay? And one of the things that he has, like, you know, you mentioned Yelp won't take down any negative reviews or comments. The guy that is the administrator of this blog has people count you like you'll post a story. Oh, the uh, courthouse is going to be closed on Wednesday. And then people will comment. And invariably what happens is you get people who start writing stuff that has nothing to do with what he's talking about. Okay. Uh, Sometimes it'll get political. Oh, this judge is horrible. Uh, or they'll start talking about, you know, if there's an election local or national that's coming up and there's always somebody on this side of the equation, there's somebody on that side of the equation. And it's like a big pissing contest. But one of the things that happened, I'm not going to mention the name of the person in question because, uh, that's not my place, but there is someone who's actually in our group that is uh, running for a County judge spot. And over the course of the last five years, he has been the victim of these personal attacks by someone. And what, you know, if, if you 
if Barry Rose has a problem with me and he goes on some page and says, uh, you know, uh, I think Jeff's an idiot because of such and such, and uh, he's a real a-hole. Or if Jeff goes on the same page and says, well, you know, I know Barry Rose, and he's a real a-hole, and, and such and such. That's you identifying yourself, me identifying myself, and going after each other, okay? Well, what this guy allows on his blog and on the, the comment section of his blog is you to post anonymously. Ah. So, you, so you have people posting anonymous comments, okay? And what I find reprehensible is people would comment about this guy's wife, okay? And what they felt about her physical appearance, you know? Ah. I, I mean, that's me completely fucking out of bounds. And I would tell the guy that's the admin, I said, dude, what, what the fuck are you? They're talking about the guy's wife? Who, by the way, has nothing to do with the board or the blog or anything like that. I'm like, you should take that fucking down. And he goes, no, 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 I, I can't do that because if I start taking one comment down, I have to edit and I don't, and for whatever reason, he didn't want to edit. Okay. Now, what really makes this interesting is the person that, and this is only my understanding, what I was told, allegations, suppositions, and I'm not going to say the name of the person, but I was told that the person that did 95% of the nasty comments, including the shots at the guy's wife, was a former judge. And it was a former judge, wow. a guy that I know or that I knew when I lived in South Florida. And I will say, in fairness, a guy that I never had a problem with, but I know people that had real issues with the guy, okay, that said that he had a volatile personality. Well, apparently, this former judge and this person who is in our group who is running for a judgeship had some sort of falling out. And boy, did they apparently have a falling out, at least on one side of the equation, because this alleged former judge, just every time the guys mentioned, you like, Oh, you know, uh, uh, I'll just use name. Uh, Bob Smith uh, uh, is running in this particular uh, court race, and then all of a sudden you'll see all the nasty comments, all the former, pic you know, pictures from ten years ago of the guy. Oh, see this guy? He's a huge a hole. And of course, it's always posted anonymously. Wow. And I just think that's fucking reprehensible. You know, if you have a problem with somebody, fucking come out and have man up and say. You know, hey, uh, it's me, uh, you know, John Smith. And I think this guy is a huge asshole. And let me tell you why. You know, fucking do that. But and you know what makes that interesting, Jeff, is we know someone who has done this uh, to us, uh, but to <laughs> others as right. well. I forgot about that. Yeah. So everything you're describing, I've got this picture of this this little steaming pile of shit. Uh, uh, toenail fungus, wasn't it? Yeah, it was toenail fungus, but uh, yeah, and that makes me wonder because. Which, by the way, uh, before I interrupt, uh, please uh, avail yourself of the opportunity to go on uh, your various platforms, uh, uh, iTunes, uh, whatever, Stitcher, uh, leave a positive review and give us a five star rating if you don't mind, because it certainly helps in the algorithm. <laughs> Excellent use of the word algorithm there, Barry. Now, get back to toenail fungus and your thoughts on him. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's it. And it, that makes me wonder. We know for a fact that it was toenail fungus because why? He brags about it, uh, but he has left uh, reviews that, you know, and that's where the, the whole, which I posted in Facebook yesterday or the day before about jerking off uh, to uh, to Japanese wrestling, Japanese wrestling, uh, well, women's wrestling, women's clear. wrestling. Though I I would certainly run a bat. Well, jumbo Japanese, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, so so with that, but uh, but again, th this is all this. Look, this is a a real act of cowardice, and that's exactly what it becomes when you post it anonymously. That you would never say 
uh, to somebody in person and or at least have the guts, the the balls to say, you know what? You know, look, we know the guy hates us. Just fucking come out and say it, Greg. Right? Yeah, come out. And, mutual, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So why why be anonymous about this shit? So I I agree with you. To me, it's the biggest chicken shit move that there is. So one last uh, part of this, and uh, again, this is uh, sidetracking here. This doesn't necessarily have anything to do with restaurants, but uh, about reviews, okay, and leaving reviews on different things. So the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin and myself, uh, as our uh, you know, as as people that live in a residential community, Barry, I'm sure with you, uh, you have some sort of uh, service that uh, takes care of your uh, your garbage, uh, yes. your your waste or whatever. Some company, whether it's local or national chain. So, uh, I will say that the company that services uh, our house is Waste Management. Who, by the way, I believe Waste Management originally was owned by Wayne Heisinga. It was, yes, it was. The former man, uh, former owner of the Marlins and the uh, Florida Panthers. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Wayne Heising no longer with us. Uh, rest in peace, Wayne. But waste management uh, was the primary provider, literally in the entire community that I live in. Okay, until I want to say three, four months ago, they decided, and uh, I'll be honest and fair to them, you know, there are all kind of uh, manpower shortages. Uh, that came about because of the pandemic, okay? All of a sudden, people weren't coming out of work. And so like any other uh, industry, restaurant, whatever, uh, the uh, the waste industry had problems getting people that would come and take a job, basically removing people's garbage and stuff, right? And so, uh, so anyway, so what happens is uh, they decided because they had a shortage of, of, uh, of employees, they were going to eliminate the recycle uh, aspect because what happened was like it would pick up our trash on Thursday. Monday was recycle day. So you would leave all your stuff in the recycle bin. And then on Thursday, they come and get your, your regular trash, right? So they eliminated that and said, we're not going to pick up your recycle anymore. Uh, go ahead and just put everything in the same container. And so, you know, when you're used to doing that for, God, what, 20 years? And now all of a sudden you have like a, uh, a bottle, like a soda bottle. And instead of putting in a recycle bin, you're putting it with your trash. It's still like, you know, all these months later, I still don't like doing that. Cause I feel like I should be recycling this shit, you know? Sure. And so what happens is because we are leasing our home where we're at now and our lease is getting ready to, to end relatively soon, we did not want to switch companies because, you know, we, uh, you know, whether we decide to renew our lease or look for another home, you know, if, if we decide to go look at, I don't, I don't want to switch over to, uh, you know, another, uh, waste company. And then, uh, you know, one month or two months into it, ah, yeah, Hey, uh, thanks for uh, servicing our home for one month, but we're, uh, we're moving, you know? So we said, let's just wait to see what happens at the, uh, towards the end of our lease, whether we renew or go elsewhere. So we stuck with waste management. Okay. So let's, Fast forward to a week ago at the time of this recording. Our scheduled pickup is Thursday, right? So we are at the bottom of a cul-de-sac, uh, and we are the only uh, home in the cul-de-sac that still uses waste management. Now, as you leave our home up the street where it kind of goes up a small hill, there are like two or three other houses towards the top of the hill that still use waste management, but we're the only ones in the cul-de-sac that use it, Okay. So we did not get uh, our waste picked up. 
And so we went out there and we let it sit there for a day, another day, no pickup. And we noticed wow. that our neighbors at the top of the street both had gotten their their trash picked up. We're like, what the hell? So we call waste management. Okay. Well, we don't know what's going on, but uh, you know, you guys didn't pick up our trash. So can you send somebody out now? Of course, when this happens, I don't know if you know this, Barry, they don't send out one of their big trucks. They have sort of an independent contractor, uh, you know, that they uh, subcontract out this job and they'll come, you know, like when we, like I talked about, uh, ended the recycle uh, phase with the company, they had a separate company come out just to pick up the recycle bin. Okay. And so they said, okay, well, we'll send somebody out to pick it up. All right. So they said, uh, you know, like uh, they'll, they'll pick it up for the end of the day. Well, nobody picked it up by the end of the day. And so I brought the trash can back down, uh, put it, uh, you know, where we usually store it by our garage. And Monday came, didn't see nothing. Tuesday came and end of the day, hadn't seen anything. So I called waste management back and I said, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but uh, you guys were supposed to pick it up on Friday and no one's picked it up. And they said, oh, well, yeah, no, when there's an order for uh, a pickup like that, uh, it's a, a 48 hour turnover. Now, I don't understand why it takes 48 hours to process that, but that's yeah. what they said. I said, oh, okay, so it should have been picked up by today. Yes. Why wasn't it picked up by today? I don't know. I said, okay, well, it still hasn't been picked up. I want someone to pick up my damn trash. Okay, I'm going to put in another order, da 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 and they'll be there uh, tomorrow. And guess what? Tomorrow came, and no one showed up, so I called them back, and I said, yeah, look, uh, no one came to pick up my trash. What the hell is going on here, waste management? And I will say, uh, I could have been an asshole. I could have yelled and screamed, but let's be honest, the person that's picking up the phone, they're not the ones that did it. You know, they're a, per a person that's answering the phones for this company. And they said, well, I'm, I'm looking and I see that you, in fact, had placed an order. But what happened was someone closed out the tab. They're not supposed to close out the tab until the property has been serviced. So for whatever reason, they closed out the tab and said that we had been serviced. We, in fact, had not been. I said, OK, I don't know what I got to do. But I need to have someone come pick up my trash. It just so happens I have a second trash bin. We are now putting stuff in the second trash bin because the first one's full. Okay. So I said, uh, I don't know what's going on, but we need to have someone come up and pick up the trash. Okay. I'm putting it. I said, yeah, could you tell the guys in the request, uh, make sure to go to the end of the road, to the end of the cul-de-sac, because we need to have our trash serviced and picked up. Oh, I'm making that notation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, Barry, at the time that we are recording this, it's close to four o'clock and guess what's still sitting at the top of my driveway. Wow. Hasn't been picked up yet. Now, the reason I tie all this into what we were just discussing is Mrs. Boundrin went on, I don't know if it's Google, Yelp, whatever, and left a bad review. Okay. Like, what the hell do we got to do to get our damn trash picked up? You know, by the way, uh, I will say uh, my uh, my cousin Terrence, uh, he works in this industry. So, Terrence, uh, I'm going to look to you, my friend, uh, you know, beloved family member. I know it's not your company, but get uh, one of your brothers to uh, get over there to waste management. Tell them to pick up our fucking trash. <laughs> what the hell we got to do? We've already left the bad review. Barry, as we begin to do the old go home for this show our special episode 250 of Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. I do want to mention one last thing, and that is our friends uh, Frankie and Janice Seacrest and their sponsorship of yet another guest to come to the CWF Legends Fan Fest 
Barry, why don't you give the folks the info? And uh, we want to thank Frankie and Jana, extremely generous of them to do this again. Absolutely. And now Frankie was just messaging me a few minutes ago about this as Quite well. Frankie's a bit of a pest, you know. So, I, well, I you, know, you know, yeah, Frankie, uh, Frankie pest Christ. I, I, I'm trying to see Christ and I don't know. It's not going to work, but no, no, it's not a good one. Hey, it's a good not a good one. But they are. Look, these are tremendous people and they want nothing from that. The I, it's the satisfaction of doing the right thing. These are this is a, uh, a benevolent charity that they have essentially set up. And what they do is. If you can basically send them a paragraph on hardships you may have had over the last year or so, they are looking for somebody to essentially sponsor, and they would bring you down to the next CWF Legends Fan Fest. What that would mean? That would mean plane fare. That would mean hotel for two nights. That would mean a ticket to the next event. And it would also mean spending money, which they are. I mean, that that's really going above and beyond. So if you're listening to this and you're hearing this and this is something that interests you, all expense paid trip to Lutz, Florida for the next Fan Fest, headlined by Magnum TA and Bill Apter, you're going to want to join our Facebook group. Frankie has got everything set up there. There is a form that they ask you to fill out. Again, you're not going to be graded on grammar uh, or anything like that. But look, if you've had a really shitty time the last couple of years, let's be honest too. Who has it the last couple of years? We all have. This is something that is especially for you. We encourage you join the Facebook group, uh, put your name out there, and hopefully you can win this. And Jeff, we need to get Frankie back on here because he can do a much better job explaining this than I can. That's probably true. So Very true. That being said, <laughs> on behalf of my co-host Barry Rose, our producer is Sweet Lou Kippelman. Thank you so much, folks, for joining us on this little journey of ours, 250 freaking episodes. And we will remind you that Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, and Barry too, uh, is a production of <laughs> yeah. the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Freaking Network. Lewis, my man, take this ship into port. <laughs>